Grand Rude Comedy Rascast Talking about important stuff and hopefully making you laugh. And if you don't laugh, well, at least you learned about something important. And if you don't care about that, well, that's on you. Welcome, everybody, to the Grass Cast. My name is Chris Blackwood, and I am your host for today and every day that we do this podcast. This is a grassroots comedy podcast. Grassroots Comedy is a nonprofit based in the D.C. area that educates and engages the community and causes in a time of need through comedy. Today, we are going to be engaging you all on the cause of climate justice and corporate accountability. And we're going to be talking uh, a lot about what that means exactly. Joined with me is an old friend and uh, the first official co-host of this podcast. Very excited to have him back. Mr. Robert Mack. Robert hey, Mack. Chris. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk about this because I, I do believe also that uh, that the big wigs, the fat cats, the corporate international companies uh, are behind a lot of this um, injustice in the environmental world. And maybe we'll learn a little bit more about it today from our from our guest, Marissa. Absolutely. Yeah. I am honestly looking forward to to being educated on this myself, and uh, hopefully we can find some some humor in all this too. What do you think, Robert, about making this subject funny? Because like many of our subjects, frankly, it is not very funny on the surface, unless maybe you're a, a psychopath. Um, on the surface, but I think every cloud has a, a silver lining, and there's always okay. something good that we can find in in something and and sticking it to the man yeah is always fun mm -hmm. we can manage to do it so we mm -hmm. do have we do have the bad guys and we can kind of take some punches at them yeah yeah i i agree as um a fellow straight white male i upper middle class background it's it's always nice to be able to punch something uh that is not down so this is objectively punching up Punching up at the big wigs, and uh, they I, frankly they deserve the punches. If you're going to punch anyone, punch these guys. So we're going to punch maybe these guys. Today. They're yeah, they're, they're killing the planet, which is as we've discussed before. My favorite one within driving distance. Mm -hmm. I don't want to mm -hmm. have to move. So let's punch and see see what we can get out of it. I agree. I agree. Yeah, definitely the the only one we're going to be around unless we can figure out that UFO technology that we've been seeing more of lately in Congress. Um, but yeah, not sure we're going to get to do that. So, uh, I don't know. What do you, um, do you have any thoughts on like comedic approaches to this? I, I know that you, Robert, are part of yeah. the uh, climate comedy cohort, right? Which is a cohort of, uh, comedians who are, you know, working to uh, create climate-based comedy. So yes. maybe we, we you're try the, to use the pro here, uh, kind of a pro. I, I think as as we've done here before, we try to get the word out. And by by finding humor in topics, we're able to share those topics and and sort of get rid of the taboo and kind of break the ice, because there are a lot of serious issues that we talk about. Humor is a great way to let people know it's OK to talk about it. You can't really come up with solutions until you can discuss things in a way that's comfortable and humor is a, 
a great way to, like I said, to break the ice on that. And we're, we're breaking so much ice. It's like the polar caps are melting. That's mm -hmm. how much ice is breaking. Thanks to our good friends in big oil, like, mm -hmm. like Exxon and, and all of those big wigs that we need um, the justice, the climate justice punching at them. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Yeah. Maybe that's one silver lining that they have really good at icebreakers. Zing. Um, yeah, I, I'm excited to learn, learn about climate justice some more, learn about what it means to go after the big wigs, learn a little bit about the uh, specific kind of damage that they are doing to uh, communities uh, throughout the world. And um, yeah, to learn again, what what we can do and how to make it all funny. So yeah. Do you have any final thoughts before we start today's interview? No, other than uh, to be engaging with something, um, having a, a light conversation, like I said, is a is a great way to to go about it. And I think we will find some cracks that we can split open and, and get some laughs. I hope Marissa is a big laugher, and I'm just uh, I'm I'm optimistic that we will have a great talk. Nice, nice. I agree. I I am optimistic uh, and hopeful. Uh, yeah, I think it's going to be great. I think it's going to be great. Let's just have that mentality. And uh, maybe it's time to start. So uh, let's bring on our guest, Marissa Valsing. Hi, Marissa. How are Hi. you? I'm doing okay. How about you? Doing pretty well relative to the world. Uh, so Marissa, who are you and what do you do? You know, I just turned 40, so I feel like this is a really important question, but mm -hmm. I understand that for the podcast that you're probably wondering why I'm here. So I am a attorney at a nonprofit organization called Earthrights International. You can call us Earthrights for short. Um, and I have been an attorney there for 12 years, and most of my work has focused on holding big multinational corporations, oil, gas, mining, agribusiness companies and financial institutions and governments accountable for the harms that they cause to frontline communities, indigenous communities, and um, others whose human rights or environmental rights that they've impacted around the world. So that's that's the short of it. What is Earth Rights International? Maybe we can just get into that question. What What is this whole thing anyway? So we're not the same as Earth Justice, although a good number of my friends uh, think I work at Earth Justice. It's a different... That was, that was my next question. Yeah, so uh, you'll have to cross that one off. Okay. Um, uh, we we are a nonprofit organization um, with offices in the US, Peru, and Chiang Mai, Thailand. And we started in kind of a funny way that has a cool story um, that I like to tell if you'll if you'll give me a, a few moments to tell it, which is that um, in the late 90s, the oil company uh, Unical, which is now Chevron, this was an American oil company from California, at the time was working with the military dictatorship in Burma to build a gas pipeline through the Andaman Sea. Um, and in the in the process of doing so was displacing Karen ethnic um, villagers and you know terrorizing them removing them from their lands uh, engage in all kinds of human rights abuses uh, through the military dictatorship using force to make way for this pipeline and um two american law students 
happened to be traveling there working in the refugee camps where a lot of the people had moved over onto the to the Thai side of the border and, and we're interviewing them finding out about what this American oil company was up to working with this military dictatorship and then uh, got together with a, a Burmese activist Karen activist and the three of them decided to bring a lawsuit against UNICAL in a court in California for the human rights violations that it was aiding and abetting with the military dictatorship in Burma. And at the time, um, they were told that they were crazy, that you couldn't, you know, use a court in the United States to sue a multinational corporation, even though it was based in California, you couldn't do this for human rights violations in another country. But they did it, they changed the law. And then with a small grant from the Equin Green Foundation, which starts a lot of environmental nonprofits that exist today, um, you know, to start out small, the uh, Earth Rights was formed. And so now to this day, we use legal strategies like that, like transnational legal strategies to hold big, nasty companies accountable. And we also work with frontline communities and training and documentation and fact finding. And we do some advocacy and campaigning as well. Um, and now we've grown, we're working in throughout the Americas. I work a lot in Latin America um, and in Southeast Asia and also um, in Central America, but, and then recently also within the United States. And that's thanks to your wife, Chris, who we will now disclose to the listeners, works at our oh, awesome boy. organization. Cats and she out makes of the it, bag. Cats out of the bag. And um, Mariam, your amazing lawyer wife, mm. is working on our uh, environmental justice and climate justice work in the United States now with indigenous and BIPOC frontline communities in the United States, because, um, you know, we figured out that since we're really good at holding corporations accountable around the world for what they think they can get away with doing in countries where they think no one will see what they're up to, uh, they're also up to a whole lot in the United States and we know how to hold them accountable. So we've been working on some climate justice, environmental justice cases here and uh, campaigns that Miriam is helping lead. So, so yeah. That's that's what Earthrights does. Wow, yeah. there's there's a lot there, uh, <laughs> and uh, I do think this is probably going to be Marianne's favorite episode. Maybe maybe she'll actually listen to this one. Uh, I was wondering that this might be what what yeah. really brings her around to listening to your podcast. Why do you like rights more than justice? Why are rights more important to you? Could you please explain that to our listeners? Like if someone had a gun to your head and said right. rights or justice. justice, rights or justice, you're like, you, you went, yeah. right? we're, we're not right. justice. No, not justice. <laughs> rights. Rights. It's about rights. Yeah. So, so why? Why that? Why? You know, I can't actually say I'm more interested in rights than justice. I think they're equally important. Mm. And, I, and I think that rights is one of the frameworks to help you achieve justice if you say, there are these basic fundamental underlying rights that need to be respected, both so by corporations and by prepared. governments, that then you get justice, right? But mm -hmm. I do think I'll take this moment, even though this isn't what you asked, to kind of explain the difference between the types of strategies that environmental nonprofits like Earth Justice do and what we do and why I'm here to talk to you mostly about corporations today, which is that most environmental nonprofits, when you think of an environmental nonprofit lawyer, they're working on regulatory administrative approaches to um, environmental problems. So they're trying to get the government to pass certain regulations, or they're trying to sue the government to stop them from passing regulations that they don't, that they don't like. So they have this kind of frenemy relationship with the government where they're, you know, challenging government rules, where they're trying to implement government rules, where they're trying to strengthen government rules. But what we do 
is while we do sue some government actors from time to time, we primarily focus on suing corporations and financial institutions and development banks. And the reason for this is because corporations don't really, like even though they are creatures of law and creatures of statute, there's not like one comprehensive legal framework to regulate them around the world and to make sure that they protect people's and communities' rights. Um, and that's because even if you think about like corporate law in the United States, like corporate law, when you take it in law school, as I did, um, although I fortunately had a, had a pretty great professor who didn't make it all about this, but corporate law exists to maximize profits for shareholders. It's, it regulates the relationship between shareholders and managers and the entity to ensure that they maximize profit. But it does, has nothing to say about the externalities on the workers, on the frontline communities, on the environment. So there you have a lot of gaps and corporations aren't being held accountable for those gaps if the government isn't doing enough to hold them accountable, which it often isn't. And there's also, you, you need to, and there's no way for them to be accountable through corporate law or through any, so let, let's say a corporation goes to another country. American corporate law is only interested in how much profit it's making there. And if it's doing this fiduciary duties for its shareholders, American corporate law isn't going to say you can't go into this community and work with a paramilitary death squad to move communities off their land so you could use their land to grow bananas. But that's messed up. And so there should be a way to stop that company from doing that. So um, so we come in and we help those communities that have been wronged by US companies take them to court in the United States. Um, and, and so that's what I do as a lawyer. And, uh, and that's why I think it's important to really look at corporate power and corporate accountability as a standalone issue and to understand that the work Earthrights does, get back to your question, is getting at that problem. Um, whereas an organization like Earth Justice or NRDC or other environmental organizations, they are going to be working on government solutions to problems rather than challenging corporations directly for what they've done. So it sounds like what you all do is a little more punk rock. <laughs> We're scrappy. Would, would, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Would that be accurate? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. That's awesome. I have a question for those in our audience who are maybe a little newer to this whole climate justice concept. Mm -hmm. Could you please explain it to them as if they were five years old? <laughs> okay. This so. is also for the five-year-old listeners in our audience. And yeah. we have a lot of them because they love bananas. You had mentioned bananas earlier. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They do love bananas. Um, so Climate justice is kind of a funny phrase because it means one thing outside of the United States, but it tends to mean another thing in the United States. Mm -hmm. So like when you talk to my in-laws um, who live in Ecuador, they're like, oh, climate justice is this concept that um, countries from around the world that have not contributed substantially to climate change, like, you know, the United States has, um, that they should be given the ability to... Uh, like basically adapt to climate change and to be given the resources to do so and that they should be getting money from these larger nations that have substantially caused climate change through their through their company's actions um you know and that they should that they should have those resources in order to offset the fact that they haven't really contributed and they, they view that as a climate justice model in the united states when we use it i think we're talking about the ability of communities that are directly facing climate impacts um, and those can be both direct climate impacts or indirect climate impacts 
um, to be given the resources to and to, to protect themselves from those client impacts and also the ability to seek reparations or remedies from those that have caused those impacts. Um, so that's kind of a convoluted legal sounding answer. I realize I'm supposed to be talking to a five-year-old. So let's, yeah, let's say I, it's I have so many follow-up questions as a five-year-old. Okay. All right. Sorry. I'm supposed to be like, talking to a five-year-old. What are reparations? <laughs> okay. What are like half of those words? Okay. I'm sorry. I'll, Why I'll, I'll am I not to... getting a snack right now? <laughs> Okay. All right. I'm sorry. Five. I'm five. You're five. All right. Okay. Think about my five-year-old vocabulary. Okay. Thank you. So I have a four-year-old, so I'll mm -hmm. pretend I'm talking to him. Um, yeah. Maybe he reads at an advanced level. Yes. Okay. So does he know what climate change is, this five-year-old? Does he? Here's I don't know. Does he? I don't, I don't know. know. I don't have a four-year-old. I don't know. So, I mean, my, mine does. So, okay. Okay. Uh, all right. So, so when we talk about climate justice, we talk about, let's say there's a community, let's say there's an indigenous community in Alaska and they live there forever and they see the sea level around them rising really high and their houses, their schools, their roads, everything that they used to live and that they lived with for generations is disappearing into the sea. And the reason for this is because the planet is getting really hot uh, because we've emitted so much greenhouse gas, so methane and CO2 into the atmosphere through our fossil fuel burning activities, which includes cars and factories and anything that has a combustible engine. And then there are also some cows, you know, that that my son, that my four-year-old son would probably like to talk about because Love cow cows. farts are, yeah, just so much fun for kids to talk about when it comes to climate change. And um, so anyway, so you've got these impacts of climate change that are happening, let's say, to this indigenous community in Alaska, they're seeing their schools and their roads and their hospitals disappear uh, because the sea level is rising. And they're saying we deserve to be protected, you know, by the government. We we deserve to be relocated to a place that's safe for us, that that where we can continue our traditions. And we also deserve to be compensated for the for the losses that have happened because, you know, our land has been taken away from us. Our livelihoods have been taken away from us. And so it's this idea that people who have been wronged by the impacts of climate change can get a remedy for it and can hold those who are causing those uh, impacts accountable, whether, you know, so not just the government, but maybe some of the fossil fuel companies that have been the the, the baddest guys uh, polluting the atmosphere with greenhouse gases. Does that work for a five-year-old explanation? The baddest guys part did that. I understood. Yeah, definitely. So, no, Bart's baddest guys. There were aspects of those that resonated. you lost me for a while, but uh -huh. baddest guys, I was totally in. And now for a grassroots comedy show clip with Robert Mack. I've stopped. Uh, I've stopped watching the news. It is the worst show on television. Who comes up with this stuff? It's been on forever. Zero Golden Globes. It gets renewed every season. And right now, if you've been watching recently. Um, all the news about climate change and global warming has been really just doom and gloom, and it stresses me out. And I wake up in the middle of the night uh, in a cold sweat, which is very refreshing. I highly recommend it. <laughs> it's like being poolside with a tall lemonade, or as the kids call it, poolside with a, a tall lemonade. I think, I think we need to focus 
on what it's going to be like when we get to the other side because we're going we're gonna to get there and, uh, and focus on, on that and imagine what that is. It's going to be rebirth and renewal and puppies rolling in the grass and high-energy heat pumps rolling in the grass. I call it <laughs> doom and bloom, trademark. I'll never forget the observation of my dear friend, Bambi's mother, who once told me everything in the forest has its season, and where one thing falls, another grows. See right there, doom and bloom, trademark uh, residual. The, the doomy part is that things are getting, uh, are going to get worse before they get better, but the good news is they're getting worse a lot faster than we expected, so we're going to get to the other side sooner than imagined, right? And it's, there will be sunny days, uh, a lot of them, uh, probably, probably too many. And, and that's a little bit of the problem because it's not uh, global colding, it's, it's global warming. But if colonialism has taught us anything, it's that the first people who go to a place and set a flag can exploit the natural resources of that place. So whoever conquers the sun is sitting on a gold mine because that thing <laughs> is chock full of solar energy. And a lot of uh, gas, oil, and petroleum companies, which I call GOP, a lot of GOP <laughs> companies don't publicly support solar energy because they're invested in these freaking oil fields and flipping coal mines and freaking fracking. Yeah, I fork and said it. Elon Musk is talking about going to Mars, which is uh, over here, and it's a bad idea because it's small and you'll miss and you'll get pulled into the sun. Just aim for the sun and you'll get there and then set a flag and then start selling power because the sun provides us with 35,000 times the energy we currently use and it takes just eight minutes to get here. Clean, free delivery, no drills, no spills, no mining, no refining. Worst case scenario is you get a little suntan and if anyone could use a little sun, it's Elon Musk, am I right? <laughs> You've seen the beach photos, right? Everyone calls him bright because his torso is as reflective as uh, a disco ball. The, the CEO of Exxon makes $23 million per year. We could make that in one day if we sold energy directly from the source. All we have to do is charge everyone on the planet $1 each per year for energy, right? That's $8 billion all profit because you don't have to build anything. It's already there, right? All you have to do is plant a flag. And I know I'm not a dummy. It's going to be hot. But here's the genius part. We do it at night. <laughs> Who's with me? <laughs> Today, the solar system. Tomorrow, the world. Could you please explain climate justice again, but this time do it like you are five? <laughs> Without laughing, please. Okay, so there are some really bad guys. Mm -hmm. and, and those bad guys for a long time lied about what fossil fuel uh, extraction. So what the dinos dead dinosaurs, when dead dinosaur fossils Whoa. get sucked up out of the earth. And used for car <laughs> for combustible for combustion engines and burned and spewed out into the air. And those bad guys knew for a long time that this was going to overheat our planet and make the earth a place where no one could live. And they did it anyway. And then some people got really hurt 
because they lived in places where it got too hot or there were fires or their land disappeared into the water. Climate justice is when the good, the good people who were hurt get to go after the bad guys and the governments who didn't protect them from the bad guys. And they get, they get help and they get justice. Mm. I like that. I like that a lot. <laughs> I, w- I would give it like 90, 95%. You, uh, combustion, I don't think is a, is a word a fifth, a five-year-old would use, but otherwise, Maybe. otherwise Maybe great answer. And now for a grassroots comedy show clip with Haywood Turnipseed Jr., I get it, climate change is real. It's getting hot in here. <laughs> that is the theme song. Who knew that Nelly would have a theme song for climate change? So take off all your skin. <laughs> During the pandemic, my son told me he was a nerd. And this is how he told me. He's, he, was, he was using a laptop and, and a tablet and Apple pencils and shit. Everything is electronic. And he said, Dad, I am trying to reduce my carbon footprint. What are you doing? I said, I tried to reduce my carbon footprint, but your mama had you anyway. <laughs> uh, there, there's so many things to, to get at. W- one thing is, is all these international corporations, uh, they're, they're in the business to make money and mm-hmm. to solve the problem, we have to get them out of the equation. But if, if the planet doesn't run on materialism or, or, or capitalism, what is it what does it operate on <laughs> so this is i'm not supposed to be talking like a five-year-old am i can i talk like no a no, no you can you can okay. yeah you are welcome age which is 29 i'd like to yeah i, I my, yeah. my personal preference is five but like whatever you're the most yeah. comfortable with. yeah so we hear this argument slash question because i think it was an argument a lot because uh, let's say we are protecting a community's rights not to have a $5 billion gold mine built on top of their water source or, or on their lands. Then, and this happened, we brought a lawsuit um, against New Mining Corporation, a, an American mining company that was trying to build a $5 billion gold mine on top of this family's land and, and a number of pristine lagoons that the communities used for their, for their, the drinking water. And, um, the government of Peru and the company were saying, you're standing in the way of development. All of the community members who are opposing this, this mine are standing in the way of development. And I think that that argument, first of all, it doesn't matter in some ways because people have fundamental human rights that don't give way to corporate interests or they shouldn't. So, so I, I would say first, if you're balancing the rights of someone, their human rights to their lives, their life, to their livelihood, to be free from the violence of security forces coming in to remove them from their land involuntarily so that a, a mine can be built. But they're jobs. We're talking about jobs. Jobs, jobs in right. the economy. Yeah. Right, All, right. Also, aren't corporations humans also? Oh I've yeah, there's that. that. There's right. that. They, they are people. Right? You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna have I'm gonna tell a little story about that right mm. if I finish this point, which is first, human rights are superior to corporate rights, I think. And second, um this this argument that it's all on the sake of development for advancement for everyone national growth economic growth is i think a farce because if you look at the details of how the profits and the revenue from these types of major extractive projects are spent very little if any of that shows up in the local communities so like if you look on a country by country basis let's say i know the laws pretty well in a number of latin american countries where they have the royalty laws or they have the 
the, the laws regulating this. And like most of this is going to the national government to use it however they want. So then it, let's say the government's not a good guy, not a good actor, then they're using it for something. They can be using it for something corrupt. They can be using it to repress people. You know, it's it could be a democratic problem of what are they actually using this for? Are you propping up a problematic government with these revenues? Like in Burma right now, for example, in Myanmar, where you have American oil companies that were operating and you've got, you had this coup last year. And so when they were still operating there and many of them, I think are still finding ways to support that, that dictatorship, they're essentially using these revenues, not for democracy and advancement, but for a repressive state. But the other thing is that even if you have a democratic state, they don't often channel any of those resources to the people who are affected by it. And so you've got to reform those laws as well. I'm not saying it's enough just to do litigation. You've got to do a lot more than that, but we do the litigation piece and the piece that begins with the communities that are most impacted and what do they want to see and how do we protect their rights and how do they explain their rights um, to people outside of their communities in that country so or, or even on a world stage that people understand that they cannot be sacrificed for other people to live lavish lifestyles that these people will never experience so I don't know if you were looking for me to just say socialism there I don't know what you were trying to get me to say but you have no agenda no yeah. I'm I'm just asking questions because I don't know. And I, I mm. honestly don't know if 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 the world is not geared toward stuff and jobs in the economy, right. which is superimposed over right. an ecosystem, what what is is more important? And you said it's a farce. And mm -hmm. I, I do know that a cow farce is what creates methane. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that was good. Isn't it? That was good. I mean, I think you can have development that that is not a farce. And I think you can have economic growth that is not a farce, but we just don't see that. Like, I I mean, do you guys remember globalization? Do you remember when people were like, this is the best thing ever? Corporate globalization, <laughs> foreign direct investment. IMF, I, I remember World Bank. excitement were you, about that. Were you yeah. around in the late 90s and the early 2000s yeah. when people are like, it's going to lift all boats? Like, this is going to be great. Yeah, yeah. that didn't happen. And I think even The Economist now recognizes that corporate-led globalization that didn't prioritize community, worker, and environmental rights, like, was a flop. And that's how you got Trump. That's how you got Trump. Like, people point to NAFTA. People point to these free trade agreements that were passed in, in the late 90s, early 2000s that changed the way that workers in the United States feel about the economy and, and, and all the jobs going overseas. And so you had corporate globalization companies thought they could go wherever they wanted in the world to scour for resources that no one would hold them accountable for what they were doing that this was the way to lift all boats and no we just got like fascist populist presidents people are like what happened to democracy and like a lot of people who feel left behind and angry and then you've got a number of communities that were pretty screwed over by this um all across the world and so so we work in a lot of those communities but as as marginalized people get get more and more rights and more and more recognition, will 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 that s slowly take over the rights of of international corporations as they they have to give in as people realize that indigenous people and the planet itself has rights that we need to to address as climate change has is made all of this much more obvious and more pressing. I mean, I just think that the 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 power imbalance, the resource imbalance is so astronomic between 
the people on the ground, the frontline front communities, indigenous communities, that versus these multi-billion dollar multinational companies that it's going to take a lot of instances of power shifting for these companies to to change the way that they work. And that's why my dad describes my job as running up against a brick wall repeatedly. And it's kind of like the definition of crazy is you you do, do the same thing over and over again and you get the same result, but you keep doing it. Like we take these companies to court and these lawsuits go on for 16, 20 years and they throw everything that they possibly can at us to, to get these lawsuits out of court, to slow us down, to um, unmask our plaintiffs, to make them feel unsafe. And, and we keep going because this is the mandate of earth rights. Like we have to keep going, right? Like we, this is why we do this, but, and we have changed their behavior. Like you, you look at um, corporate law firms on their websites, you see the blogs that they have like, oh, this is what the, the human rights lawyers are up to now. This is how they might sue us. Like, this is how this latest lawsuit turned out. And they're so scared. <laughs> and it's, uh, and it's but, like, but you're getting victories though. And for example, yeah. In Montana recently, or a couple months ago, when this podcast gets released, the kids uh, had a had a lawsuit about how uh, the state, you know, treated the environment. So, is the tide turning? And is are are the rules and, and people's expectations changing more toward a a more global, holistic look at at the planet and how we have to deal with the planet? I hope so. I mean, I don't want to take credit for that Montana victory because that that was not that was not us. Um, that was a lawsuit against the government actor. So that was a lawsuit against the state of Montana about the steps that Montana hadn't taken to sufficiently protect those youth um, and their right to a healthy future, healthy climate. But we do these lawsuits about similar issues against corporations. And I think that there is an awareness on the part of the population, the general population and Gen Z in particular that these corporations are not um, trustworthy in a lot of ways. And so you see corporations going out there trying to say we're B corporations or we're here for some kind of social social good or we have corporate social responsibility or we're offsetting our carbon by doing X, Y, and Z or you know we're giving our workers lunch or I don't even know, like any of the stuff that they say that makes it okay that at the bottom, at the end of the day, a lot of what they do is dependent on extraction and often unsustainable extraction and on profiting off workers who are often underpaid. Um, so I think that the, the, the zeitgeist is shifting on how we look at ma- the power of major corporations. And I think that this is actually a bipartisan issue. I think it's something the Democrats could do a whole lot more with and have a whole lot more traction if they looked at the um, growing unpopularity of um, large corporations and their and their power and their accumulation of power. Um, but we need to keep holding them accountable in court or else it's never going to affect their bottom line um, because the, they they view litigation risk as a real risk. They, they view litigation risk and government regulation as, I think, their primary risks. And we need to keep we, we need to keep them in line. We need to, to let them know that if they if they violate communities' rights, people's rights, human rights, they, and you know, some of this stuff is really ugly. Like, you know, it, it's, you could say, okay, they could pollute some land or they could contribute to climate change. And we absolutely work on those cases. But then there are a lot of the cases I work on in Latin America where American companies have worked with right wing paramilitary death squads um, that they funded them over a decade 
so for example, yeah, and I see, uh, I see you holding up this book you're excited to read about banana republics. There you go, bitter fruit. <laughs> yeah, that's about Guatemala, I think. But um, but the story is 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 a story that's happened sadly throughout a number of countries in Latin America, where you had American banana companies go into Latin America looking to uh, to you know buy up land or steal up land to uh, grow bananas because they're a very popular household snack in the United States. Five-year-olds love them and, and in Europe. And so I can tell you, for example, about what I know happened in Colombia because I'm working on a case uh, that's going to trial against the American banana company Chiquita Brands in January. We're going to trial. And there Chiquita pled guilty in 2007 to the U.S. government for having funded the right-wing paramilitary group, the AUC, which is like the Colombian Self-Defense Forces, from 1994, sorry, from 1997 to 2004. And they admitted making these payments that totaled over $1.7 million. And with these payments, the paramilitary forces bought guns, they paid, you know, they got weapons and uniforms, and they paid their foot soldiers. And this is a notorious, brutal, notoriously brutal, sorry, this is a notoriously brutal uh, paramilitary force of death squads that was known for carrying out brutal, brutal massacres of civilians and and, mo and, and within those civilian groups, targeting in particular social movement leaders, union leaders, um, left-wing politicians, intellectuals, human rights activists, anyone who they thought was a risk to business. Uh, in that region where the banana companies, including Chiquita, were operating. And so even though the U.S. Department of Justice uh, fined Chiquita for this and they paid a fine, they've never compensated any of the thousands of victims of those paramilitary atrocities in and around the banana fields where Chiquita was growing their bananas. So, um, so yeah, so, so there you've got an example of how good corporations are for the world economy. Uh, as you were asking for, Robert. Oh, that that was great. And 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 what you said was that it's all about it's all about business in many ways. But you said the zeitgeist is changing, which any five year old understands. Yeah. So quick, get me a five year old. But um, things are changing, and I've been studying the IRA, the uh, Inflation Reduction right. Act, a little bit. And they say that right now, solar and and uh, wind are cheaper. Than fossil mm -hmm. fuels. So if if the economy changes or if the economics change, will how does that affect these multinationals who are in the fossil fuel business? Will are they going to hold on and be even more extreme, or, or or what do you see coming on that front? I mean, I, it's it's hard to say, but I can I, I can see a few things already happening, and so like one of the things that's happening is they're shifting into plastics because plastics are also uh, a fossil fuel product that they can make a whole lot of money off and single use plastics are like out of this world. It's hard to get anything now that isn't in single use plastic. And, um, you know, I think that it, a lot of times we're told the responsibility is on us not to use the straw or to use the compostable straw <laughs> or like, you know, not to fly on that plane if you want to look at fossil fuel consumption there. And that's all true. Like we should be all taking steps to to minimize our footprint because the planet is burning and we're in crisis. But that's what the oil companies want us to think. They want us to think it's about us. 
They want us to think that this is about the consumer and that this is something that people should be changing in their own lives because that takes them off the hook. That takes them off the hook from being regulated for the damage that they're doing to people on the planet. And that distracts the consumer from, you know, um, not holding them accountable or wanting to hold them accountable in court for the decades of deception that they have caused in, in telling everyone that, you know, oil was great for all of us in terms of keeping our economy going. But at the same time, they knew that they were sacrificing the planet and um, making it one that no one will really be able to live on soon. So, so I think there's that. They're switching into plastics. They're blaming the consumers. Um, they're still making massive profits. I mean, I'm happy to hear that the price of energy in those renewable sectors is going down, but I think that it's still still a time of massive profits for oil companies in the past year. Um, and real quick for for our listeners who might not know, when you say um, when you say they're they're uh, switching uh, to plastic and all of that, what what are the the benefits of that for them? Do they see the? I mean, obviously they see the the writing on the wall. Yeah, I think they're noticing that. Let's say as EVs, electrical vehicles are on the rise, and people won't be using the the fossil fuel product of gas or gasoline to run their car. Or that they people will be using in communities and municipalities will be using governments will be using other sources of energy to power our homes that they need some outlet for the extracted oil and so they use that oil to produce plastic because plastic is a fossil fuel product so they're switching their output in products away from um from from you know the gasoline in our cars to plastics, but plastics aren't really great for the planet either, and the and the infrastructure for all that extraction will still exist, and the methane emissions that come with you know the oil extraction, which methane is a hugely powerful uh, greenhouse gas, will still come with extraction for plastic, and the communities that live near that extraction will continue to be polluted. Um, one of the very first cases I worked on at Earthrights uh, was on behalf of five indigenous Achuar communities in the northern Peruvian Amazon. You have to get take like a boat for two days to get there that had Oxy, the American oil company, operating in their land for 30 years. And the oil was in their waters. It was in their land. People were getting sick. And um, it affected a gener generations of, of people in and around those oil installations. You go there and it, it looks like you're in one of these like movies i don't know one of these like 80s or 90s movies with like rambo or i don't even know but like there's just like fire everywhere burning out of the other flaring gas it's like it's just it's not what that those communities should look like um and and so yeah all of that will stay in place and we'll just be producing plastics or other or other outputs i think i mean i don't know i'm not an expert on plastics but this is just my hypothesis Wow. I heard that 40% of all plastic is only used once and then mm -hmm. it's thrown, it's never used again. It's like a, a liberal arts degree. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. Except for I did use mine. I became a, a good lawyer. I use, I use both of mine. And now for a grassroots comedy show clip with Kasha Patel. I do work in um, earth sciences uh, and I, I do like it a lot. I just, um, I just think Earth is very cool because there's so many mysteries here on Earth that I don't really understand why people want to go to another planet, right? And then you hear about those people who want to go to Mars. I'm like, 
you can't even bother to learn Spanish. At some point when convenience becomes not as convenient is when people are, are going uh, to mm -hmm. switch. And I'm just wondering when that is and, and when that is in the, the timeline of the planet of yeah. uh, islands on fire and other parts of the planet uh, flooding. Yeah. I mean, I don't have an answer for you about when people will switch because I think that the corporations need to switch what they're offering us and what they're selling us um, because they need to stop producing every single thing that they make in plastic. They need to stop producing fossil fuels. They, like the IRA is great, but the reason we have the IRA is because we know that we can't get meaningful regulations through Congress to actually regulate the oil industry and the gas industry and the coal industry. I mean, Obama tried, like Biden's team tried, like it, it's just not feasible in, in the United States politically right now to get meaningful regulation passed in the way I'd love to see. And so you get the politicians telling us, okay, well, instead we have the IRA, which is sh shifting incentives and it's industrial policy, but we need to keep that focus on the regulations that need to happen and on the corporate behavior and on what they're producing and what they're selling us and what their impacts on. And we need to stop worrying so much about, you know, if we used a straw or who flew on a plane, like, if that's just the wrong focus, I think. Yes, I completely agree. Um, there's a, a few things I've, I've wanted mm -hmm. to say on, on all this. Uh, first of all, question, uh, the the Chiquita banana uh, mm -hmm. case, do you refer to that as big banana? <laughs> because I would. Uh, and you I would. did type in, I was curious, um, <laughs> going after big banana. And it made me happy that I didn't do that Google yeah. search on my work computer. Yeah. Um, it's not <laughs> what you would um, hope for. This all sounds to me like corporations are basically the equivalent of like a really bad boyfriend. In the, they're in this dysfunctional relationship and uh, they are just gaslighting which mm -hmm. is a perfect term for them, frankly, yeah. uh, just gaslighting the world saying, oh, what, this pollution, all, all of this destruction? Why don't we talk about straws? Okay, babe, maybe you're on your period, okay? Why don't you just relax and uh, focus on uh, reducing the amount of straws that you use and uh, recycling your cans more, okay? There's some things that you can do. All right, I think you're getting a little emotional about this. What what can we do to counter this distracting, like abusive PR? Uh, mm -hmm. How do we change the narrative? Back well, Robert, you deal Robert's with an idea. One yeah. thing is uh, the recycling of the cans, uh, which which is called Big Can. You can look it up on Google. Oh, I'm not. It'll, it'll do show. That. No, look, do that, Robert. First, look up Big Banana, and then uh, Big Can. I'm but doing neither. The <laughs> <laughs> the the IRA and, and and there's there are not a lot of things I know too much about, but I I, I did go to a think tank, um, and we studied the the IRA, the in, uh, Inflation Reduction Act, and there are things that individuals can do, and there's a bunch of money in IRA. So if yep. somebody were to get uh, an electric vehicle or electric stove or uh, um, mm -hmm. uh, different types of heaters in their houses, there's a bunch of products. That, that people, stuff matters. Yeah. Stuff matters because that stuff it, matters. it's individuals uh, doing something rather than waiting for industry or waiting for international right. corporations. That's a great point. 100%. 100%. 
Yes. That's and, a great point. And also yeah. they get they get discounts and they get tax-free stuff. So I would recommend everyone take yeah. a look at what's available in your area because I live in a condo and if our building were to switch to uh to to solar for instance, then then we get all sorts of, of discounts. It depends on your state and your yeah. county. So there are things individuals can do and voting with your your feet or voting with your wallet mm-hmm. uh, is is one of them. And it it really takes people to be informed of of what what is out there. And there is some talk that the Inflation Reduction Act should have a different name to make mm-hmm. it more, more appealing to people who think it's only about economy when really it's about uh, environmental stuff as well. No, and that that is all a very important note. The corporations are gaslighting us. The um, the IRA is, you know, helping us. They're not gas stoving us. They're like un-gas stoving us. Mm-hmm. You know, the like there, see, I'm not a comedian, but um, yeah, but you know, I was trying to do something with that. the gas. Yeah. Um, but I think that, yes, people should absolutely be taking the steps that they can to reduce their carbon footprint. But that should be, it, should, that, it shouldn't be because they've been guilted and blamed for the state of the world with the, with the, with the gaslighting that the companies are doing where like, you know, I think Exxon will have on its Twitter or its X or whatever, like 10 steps you can take today to reduce your carbon footprint. Like, what are you doing to reduce your carbon footprint? It's like, Exxon, you lied to us for 40 years and you keep selling and peddling a product that you know is destroying the planet. Like, what are you doing to change the structure of your business? <laughs> Step one, boycott Exxon. That's what yeah. I would do. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So so I do think these individual choices do matter, but I think that people tend to o- overemphasize them. And they need to keep the emphasis on doing what they can personally in their lives, but also keeping the attention on the companies, the need to regulate them, the need to understand that there's a lot of greenwashing going on. And, you know, trolling them on the Internet's a fun thing for do for, do for people at home. You know, some people like that. Um, there's, you know, people can become client scientists to consider continue studying the way that this all works. They can. Um, go work for nonprofits that are pushing for better regulation um, try, or, you know, become public interest lawyers that sue them and, and try to hold them accountable in court. There's a, there's a lot that the upcoming generations and, you know, all of us can do. Um, but I think it's just more of a, a narrative shift away from all the only thing that matters is what individuals do and that the, the focus shouldn't be on the companies that need to be regulated because, you look at how they're set up. They're not set up to do anything other than make profit. So you can't trust them. You can't trust them to do anything other than make profit for their shareholders. And so we need to build up civil society. We need to build up regulations. We need to build up infrastructure to hold them accountable and to make sure that they that, the, that what they do is not socially destructive, which it is currently in the most for the most part, and is socially positive. Or we need to create different structures and not have corporations that are this large and this powerful and this well-resourced as we do today. We need to have a lot of different alternative business models and, you know, worker-run models and community-led models and local businesses. Like all of that can be replacing the dominance that happens right now in our economy through these large multinational corporations. Thank you. That was great. Could you please repeat that as if you were a five-year-old? Please don't make me do that. Wait, do I really have to do that? You have five seconds. Were my words too big? No, no, no. I just, I just thought it'd be funny. Um, yeah, I love, I love zeitgeist. 
and I looked up big zeitgeist. I looked up big banana, big can, and big zeitgeist. I, I, hope, I, hope I think I found in, something yeah. wrong. I hope you're on incognito mode. And now for a grassroots comedy show clip with me, Chris Blackwood. The older I get, you guys, the more I feel like the planet Earth to bring it back to the climate. We both suffer from the impact of neglect and abuse. We do. And, like, I know I should call a doctor and get some help, right? Just like I think a lot of us know we should take more action with climate change. But scheduling a doctor's appointment is difficult. Um, like, I, I look at the earth and I see signs in my body that are parallel, you know? Like, just like uh, the temperature is rising on the planet, my blood pressure is going up. Just like there are more and more floods all over the world, there are more and more liquids in southern regions, okay? And just like deforestation, there's, there's this. There's deforestation. Um, I, uh, I did ask ChatGBT to help me with that joke, and um, it gave me something that I want to see what you guys think of. Um, uh, here we go. Okay, it says, um, climate change is like my dwindling pea stream, just like my pea stream can't water my plants anymore, droughts across the world are making it harder for farmers to grow crops. Um, <laughs> how did ChatGBT know that I peed on my houseplants? I think it's about time for our next segment, which always is always a fun thing for me to announce because it's when everyone realizes that we were in a first segment. Yes, this Next segment and last segment of today's episode is called Point Counterpoint. Now, those of you who are familiar with the show might know that this is the point where we pretend to be at a Thanksgiving dinner surrounded by people who we both like, maybe, and people who we are definitely just obligated to be next to because of the family dinner that is Thanksgiving. There are some differences in opinion and uh, they're gonna be shared and we're gonna hear what both sides have to say. Right. Can you pass the potatoes, please? Uh, yes, yes, here you go, uh, the, the potatoes. So uh, I, in this segment, am going to be uh, Uncle George and uh, Robert will be, you wanna be Uncle Robert? Yes, that's easy. That yes, that's. I'll an just easy be one. Uncle Chris. Actually, what I mean. can you be Uncle Bob if you're going to be Uncle Robert? Yeah, you, you, no, I, I, I do have. I've I do have. Uh, I have an. Yeah. Everyone, everyone has an Uncle Bob. I've had two, <laughs> um, but for my niece, um, she says Uncle Robert, and it's so cute when she okay. says Uncle Robert. And you can be, just to be oh, fair, can, can, can I still be, be me? No, you can be Uncle Marissa. I okay. think that that would make it fair for everybody. So Chris is an uncle. I'm an uncle. And why should you not be an uncle? Uncle, yeah. I can be an uncle. I'll be okay. Uncle Marissa. <laughs> We've got the three uncles and, uh, and I'm starving and I'm loading up on some starches. I love the potatoes. I, I, I recommend going to big potato and, uh, <laughs> and check out, check out some big potatoes, no meat, all potatoes. So Chris, what do, what's, how how is your fall been now that it's delicious Thanksgiving time? Oh, my fall's been fine, uh, Uncle Bob. It's it's been just fine. You know, I've been just been watching the games, watching my football. Uh, I've been uh, you know uh, 
uh, just just uh, watching my shows and drinking my beer. And, I, I don't, I'm not 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 Bud Light anymore, but you know, there's uh, there's other other brands that I can drink. So just drinking my beers and watching my shows and just just trying to be an American, a good American, you know, like just doing freedom and eating hot dogs. Uh, look, Marissa. I recognize, all right, that you went to some fancy schools and that you were always listening to NPR, okay? And I've heard, I heard what you've been saying. You've been saying some things that sound like indoctrination, and I'm a little concerned, all right? <laughs> I'm a little concerned for you. I'm a little concerned about your relationship with Jesus. Now, I want to ask you a few questions, okay? I, I've heard you talk about this climate change thing, like it is a bad thing like the first of all like climate is changing guess what there's four seasons in a year climate's always changing all right it's always changing and it's not our fault all right so first of all i don't like the accusation second of all uh i think that there's nothing wrong with corporations that are just doing their thing for jobs okay for jobs in this country it is what makes us free it is what makes us powerful is jobs and employment uh you know for example my father, okay, my father, your grandpapa, okay, he recently got back from a trip to Africa, okay, to Africa, <laughs> and they cleared out, you think it's funny? No, it's not funny, it's real. They cleared out a big swath of land, okay, to protect it, they are doing good work protecting it, protecting the Maasai, Maasai, is that how you pronounce it, Maasai? I think it's Messiah. Messiah, the Messiah. Thank oh, no, 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 never mind. Different guy, different guy. Okay. Anyway, uh, they're protecting them, all right? My dad, he came back, and he had so many pictures of him holding up black babies, and it's just like, they're so happy over there. All right, that's a good thing, all right? Corporations are good, okay? Crybabies are bad. That's my point, all right? What do you have to say, then, Marissa? I, I'd really like to be excited about the fact that my grandfather went to Africa on a to a probably a safari. Was he on a safari? Yeah, yes, he was on a safari. Yeah, yes. so safaris. Can I can I tell you a little something I've learned about safaris? Oh boy, here we go. Yeah, and this isn't indoctrination. This is uh this is by talking to Maasai leaders I I know and I've worked with for like twenty years, mm -hmm. um in this part of Tanzania called Loliando, where they got moved off their land. Um, you know, last century, mid last century, to build Ngorongoro uh, conservation area on these other conservation areas on the Serengeti. Like when you watch Lion King, you only see animals and no people, but there's no Serengeti where there aren't Maasai, you know, or there shouldn't be because the Maasai have been there forever stewarding that land um, and taking care of those animal populations that people like to go and visit or trophy hunt, you know, at worst. And the Maasai got massively evicted from their lands to create those national parks and conservation areas that you think are a good thing um, because of this model called fortress conservation, which is this idea that in order to preserve land, you have to kick the indigenous peoples off of it who have taken care of it for, for millennia. And so this is a pretty messed up idea about what it means to to save land from people or to save an environment because it's coming at the risk of the lives and livelihoods of the indigenous people who actually know how to take care of it. And you've got Are you American saying that they got a free trip to travel the <laughs> world? Uh, no, they got moved to marginal regions around the conservation area, which are now being taken from them by safari companies. 
when you know these safari companies and when you go on a trip where you're looking at how conservation is done that you ask hard questions about where are the people who originally lived on that land and where are they now and and who's this benefiting and and who's it taking away from so i don't know grandpa might need to look a bit more into what safari company you chose uh not to ruin anyone's summer yeah, or look, winter look, break look marissa <laughs> uh you did lose me on your insult of the lion king okay i have not <laughs> i frankly have not been paying attention to what you have to say it was a lovely film okay okay great movie now, didn't see it yeah well you you should see it you should see it robert all right all right disney ain't all that bad don't listen to everything the santa says i mean so he's you got some very good points but i do like lion king now look sorry robert do you have a question i did want to say something about i'm on safari right now it's my browser on <laughs> apple and there's nothing wrong with apple i actually have a lot of apple products i have a homemade cell phone and when i say homemade it was built in a in a factory in China, but the workers are forced to live there. So it's technically their home. Mm. And I don't see anything wrong with multinational corporations and, and this wonderful safari trip that I'm on right now. And earlier I visited a, a couple great places like uh, Big Corn and Big Hot Dog, which you seem to enjoy for your <laughs> Thanksgiving dinner. I love hot dogs. Look, uh, I'm a little confused about where you are right now, Bob, because I thought we were at this dinner table and now you're talking about being on safari. Uh, on your computer, I've got a browser uh, on my watch. Right, that, it's okay, all right, all right. I'm not seeing you right watch. there. I see you right there. You just passed me the, you just passed me the uh, the grits. Now look, um, Marissa, uh huh, Marissa, what do you have to say with about jobs? Okay, you clearly don't like jobs. Right? <laughs> There's nothing more American than a company that provides jobs. The citizens like me and you and your Mimo and your Papa, all right, th th these are good, God-loving citizens who need work, okay? And what are you trying to do? You're trying to say, no, look, he's, I, I went to Harvard, okay? Here's some talking points. It is bad. It's bad. And we don't want you to work. Why? I don't hate jobs. I don't I don't hate jobs. Then why I are you like trying to take them away? Why are you trying I'm to take them away? I'm not. I'm going to ask you, are those companies providing good jobs? Who are they providing well their jobs if a job that keeps a roof over my house and feeds my Cause, babies because you got to remember that for companies they may say that it's all about jobs but for them it's all about profit and they're able to make more profit by paying you less working you harder and giving you less rights mm -hmm. so if you really care about those things you should be demanding that companies respect people's jobs and pay them better and give them better conditions to work not just that they give jobs the best jobs is Steve Jobs, and that's why I only buy Apple. You keep pitching Apple. Are you are doing product placement? That are homemade at a factory in China. You're doing product placement today? I think, I think Pass the gravy, please. Now, Marissa, I just have to say, okay, we're. I came here, first of all, to eat dinner with my family, all right? But second of all, I wanted to talk to you about this climate change thing, all right? This hippy-dippy thing that... You know, the science is yet to be confirmed on this. Okay, we just heard on the debate stage just the other night that it's a hoax. So maybe it <laughs> is, okay? We have yet to see proof and evidence. Anyway, I, I, I came here to, to to try and tell you to just to understand the logic and just 
jobs and in the fact that we don't we don't understand the science yet and we shouldn't lose jobs over fake hippie science and also like you talking about your know, safaris you're talking about uh you know things that i don't i don't really understand the connection between the things that you are saying and what i am saying which is look around you okay it still snows in the winter time all right it snows <laughs> In certain places in the country, there is snow. So, like, what? Come on, do we even know why? Why lose jobs over there? Can you just please connect those dots and help me understand? Yeah. So, I'm not trying to get anyone to lose their jobs. I'm just trying to talk about the system we have in place for how those jobs come into being and who's giving those jobs and and who's losing out. And that includes the workers who are working jobs and bad conditions for bad wages, less than, you know, minimum wage is still very low. Um, But also talking about the power structure in our economy right now, where you've got people who could be workers, they could be consumers, they could be, you know, indigenous peoples on their lands, they could be frontline communities. And then you've got the power in the hands of these major companies and financial institutions who act with impunity, have all the resources and lawyers on their side, except for a few of us. And this is a what I'm interested in, in the job I do every day or what I try to do. And what I what I wanted to talk to you all about today is just about shifting power, shifting power away from these large companies and financial institutions and, and back towards the people, you know, because right now it's incredibly skewed. And although people are starting to have conversations about this, we're still a long way from a place where corporations are meaningfully regulated, where, you know, if I could change one rule that makes this world go around right now, it would be the basic tenet that the purpose of a corporation is to maximize profit for its shareholders. Because with that as its underlying purpose all around the world, profits are coming at the expense of people and their lands and their livelihoods and their rights as workers. And that's got to change. We are we got to invert that. We are just ass backwards right now when it comes to that. And it's and it's a, just an underlying fundamental structure that we need to, um, you know, take stock of. And we need to increase people's rights and power and hold these corporations accountable. And we got to regulate them. And you know they shouldn't be regarded as people. They're not people. They're creatures of statute. We have reached the end of our time here, Marissa. Thanks for uh, having me. Thank you so much for being here. Is there one final thing you could say to our listeners? Uh, we I mean, there, there's we been so much information. A lot. What is, what is one thing for those who are ADHD and uh, really just need it filtered and need like small pieces of information? What's one thing that our listeners can do? People should focus not just on their own individual actions, though I agree with you, Robert, they should check out the IRA, find out what kind of induction stoves or heat pumps they can get, what kinds of uh, subsidies for electric vehicles or renewables, put some solar on their house. Um, You know, all of that is good stuff. But in order to really have a power shift and a system change, we need to understand the systems we're working with. And we need to look at the role of governments and corporations in, in in creating the disaster that we have for our planet today, not just climate change, but direct impacts, um, you know, water pollution, um, land displacement on 
the people who are being sacrificed essentially for the type of lifestyle and economy that we have. And, you know, so it, I think it just means being educated, asking about these things, asking hard questions, reading up about it and expecting more from our government when it comes to regulating companies and demanding more. And it also means taking these actors to court, publicizing what they're doing um, and you, yeah, holding them accountable. That's what I would say. Yeah, and they donate. Of course they can donate. They can donate to Earth Rights. They can go to www.earthrights.org. We love donations. We are a punk rock, scrappy organization, as you described us, and a little bit goes a long way for us. So it's very appreciated. Well, thank you. We appreciate you, Marissa. We appreciate everything that Earth Rights International does. And thank you so much for your time today. It was great chatting with you. Great chatting with you as well. Thanks to you both. That's our show, everybody. Thanks to Robert Mack for co-hosting this one. And a special thanks once again to Marissa Valsing from Earthrights International for joining us. Today's episode featured comedy clips from our fundraiser comedy show with Earthrights International a few months ago. So thank you to the featured comedians for allowing us to use your art for this one. Also a shout out to Next Chapter Podcasts, as always, for producing this episode. As for grassroots comedy updates, we are still recruiting volunteers, board members, interns, partners, sponsors, etc. as we continue to expand. For more information on these opportunities, as well as information on our shows, please check out our website at grassrootscomedy.org. Thanks for listening, everybody. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review The Grasscast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods Once again, it is really important for bringing visibility to the show and helping people learn about us and the work we do to make the world a better place through laughter. Until next time, this has been The Grasscast.